sharing with people, I like found my joy. And it's, that's, that's amazing how that works. Well, we're obviously kind of spread out this morning. We've got people spread out around the country and spread out around the room. We've got some people online and people will be watching online later. But I'm glad we get to be here this morning. This is our kind of our closest to a Christmas celebration that we have as a church as we're, we're off um, from physically gathering next Sunday. Um, but we're, I really believe God has something good. Continue. I mean, he already has been doing good things, but something good for us from his word this morning. And we're really, we've been talking about the hope of his appearing, how in a world that needs hope and in our lives that need hope, it's Jesus appearing that makes all the difference. And that was true with his first coming as people were waiting for the appearing of the Messiah. And when he came, he brought hope. It's true now of us waiting for his second coming and the hope that he's, he will ultimately bring then. And even right now in the in-between time, as we draw near to him, we, we find hope. And really this morning we're looking at the, at the Christmas story. And if we have time, we're going to look at a little uh, story Jesus told about his second coming. We'll see if we have time for that. But our theme is how God is for the poor. God is for the poor. I don't know if you guys saw this this week, but there's been a lot of talk and, you know, growing in our culture the last several years. I think about the difference between the haves and the have-nots, the rich and the poor. And one thing that came out this week was that, of course, in 2020, it's been really tough on a lot of people's finances. And there's a lot of stress, and it's, it's especially hitting laborers and small businesses. And interestingly, though, there are a lot of bigger companies and corporations that are doing really well. There's kind of been a consolidation of resources with, with the big. So the, like, the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. And it came out this past week that of the, the top 50 companies that have prospered the most in 2020, so they've like, I forget how many billions of extra dollars they made this year from before, but they've like really, really, really done well. So the top 50 companies, those companies that, were fl that are flush with cash laid off 112,000 employees. It's like, wow, like, why are they laying people off, right? Like, they, they don't have an excuse. They have, they have money. But it's kind of this consolidation and padding the bottom line versus looking out for the people. You know, that's, at least that's how it comes across. I don't know all the details. But you see that. You understand, like, you know, tough decisions small businesses are being made. But, wow, this is, there were resources. But 112,000 people lost their jobs. And as we look at the Christmas story, we see how God is not like that. God always comes to those in need. God comes to those who are ordinary, humble, poor, to elevate them and lift them up. And so let's just jump right into this. Uh, in Luke chapter 1, this is the account. This is right after the angel Gabriel had appeared to Mary, who we know she was not of, she was rather more poor financially, um, as was her husband Joseph. And in a small town, and the angel Gabriel shows up, appears to her, and says, hey, you are highly blessed by God, and you are going to bear the Messiah. You're going to conceive and have a baby, and this is going to be the Savior of the world. And we're going to pick up in verse 46, which is her response to this delivery of good news that came to her. Um, this is kind of like a poem or a song that she that she uh, declared or, or said or sang in praise. It says in verse 46, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, 
my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. That word humble, it could also be, sometimes it's translated in some translations, lowly. It literally means like close to the ground, not far off the ground. So Mary's going, my, my estate is lowly. Like, there's not a lot of money in the bank. I, I, I don't, if you look at me naturally, there's, I have a humble life. But God has looked upon my humble estate. And I was, I felt this way, I was reminded of this this week. I was, the last few days I was driving around northeast Kansas delivering gifts to people who invest in our ministry and, and pray for our ministry. And I found myself in near Mayetta, Kansas, which was my kind of hometown where I lived from age one to, to ten most of those years. And Mayetta is a really humble place, all right? If you've ever been to Mayetta, even in Kansas, you know, people don't know about Mayetta. It's population 200-some. And we lived, when, I, when we moved there, it was kind of a shack that my parents bought. And it was out in the middle of the country, dirt roads. And I was, I was driving these dirt roads, and I was, I was kind of having, it brought me back to, to catching the school bus at like 7 a.m. in the morning and being on these backcountry roads for an hour, going to school, and feeling like I was, you know, that kind of, I'm of poor origins, basically. Like, I felt like, I, I remember as a boy, like, man, I, my, my parents, you know, they were starting a business and really kind of, you know, careful with their finances. I got an allowance, 50 cents a week. <laughs> it was, I mean, that was like through sixth grade, all right? So, I was like, that was kind of, I remember I, I wore garage sale clothes, but even more than that, I remember being in this little country school and just feeling like I'm this very shy, awkward, like, there's not a lot I have going for me. Like, there was that sense. And I remember, though, like being out in the, walking around in our pastures and just having this sense of like, you know, it's little me, but seeing the big sky and and knowing there's a God, and, and having a realization that God likes me, that, like, God, God's for me, and he's good. And there was just this sense of, man, God, God kind of bringing me into his, into his family and into that relationship. And this sense, it's kind of like, even like enjoying, like, being little old me, in a sense. And I think that's, a, like, that's what this is talking about. Like, there's a the, a healthy poverty, a healthy humility is a realization that we are small and that we need God. That we, we don't have it on our own, but we need God. And God loves meeting people who have that realization and coming to them. So Mary says, man, God has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Now, that's one of the distinctions of Christianity is that it's not about us trying to be mighty and trying to be successful and trying to be moral, but it's realizing, no, there is a God who is mighty, and he does good things for us if we position ourselves to receive it. And so that's totally different from the way the world works and totally different from how every other religion works and how our minds naturally work, that it's, man, God is mighty, but he does good things to those who, who look to him. And trust him. It says his mercy. How many, let me just ask you this. How many of you 
just tell me, if I'm all alone, I'll still be okay, you know, with that, I think. But how many of you have felt poor in your life? Like, if you had that sense. Yeah, how many of you have had the, like, the good sense of feeling poor? Like, you know what I mean? Like, you're kind of like, you know, this is, there's like something good in this. Okay, fewer hands, but some of you, yeah, okay. Well, you're in the right place here today because God is for us in that place. Um, let me just keep reading here. His mercy is for those who fear him. You know, mercy, that's the idea. Mercy is not what we earn, what we deserve, what we prove, but it's mercy is the undeserved kindness of God to those who need it. His mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich is sent away empty. The, I read just this morning, um, our friends at Desert Streams Ministry, who are where we get living waters from, that one of the people on staff there, Abby Ford, sent out a little, some a devotional. And she said this. She said, the Lord inhabits humble, barren spaces. You know, this Mary and was humble. Her, her cousin Elizabeth was old but barren, but God visited her. And she also conceived in this Christmas story. His very presence sanctifies them. A shepherd's pasture becomes a contact point for divine relationship. And that's what I was feeling as a kid. You know, out in the pasture. You know, but there's this divine connection with God in that place. An earthly womb that's barren and poor and can't do anything on its own. It becomes a dwelling place for the most high God. My own weary, wandering soul can display splendor. If only I yield to the one who longs to meet me there. I believe that's what God is inviting us into in this season. Wherever we are is to say, you know, I'm, let's get in touch with my, with my smallness, with my need. And be okay with that. And invite God to come and meet us. In that very place. Um, you know, it's interesting how in this whole, in Mary's poem, there's this God meets the poor, but then what does he do to the proud? He humbles them. He scatters them. Yeah. So there's this dynamic with God. Like, we're trying so hard to, like, to have a life that justifies being proud. But actually, God's like, you know, the more you get there, the more I'm going to resist that. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And that's, it's... It's just, it's the opposite. You know, so much of what we're trying to be is the very thing that keeps us from what we were, we were really made for. Um, yeah. So good. I love that, that the, the Christmas song, O Holy Night. There's the line in there that says, Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. You know, it's, it's when he appears in our life, in our place of need, that that's where we find our worth, from him inhabiting the barrenness and the poverty and the, the emptiness of our lives. And then the worth that we have is, is from him. All right, so that's, you know, some ruminations from the first coming. I want to shift gears here and look at 
totally different passage. You're going to be like, why are you going here? This, what's the connection? But this is a, a description Jesus told of his second coming. It's in Matthew chapter 25. And let me flip to it. Verse 31. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are, you are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So, wow, here's this final Jesus comes. There is a judgment. He's looking at all people, and he's separating them. Sheep on his right hand, goats on his left hand. If you like goats, you know, it's just an analogy here, all right? We're not anti-goat, but you, you want to be a sheep when Jesus comes back, all right? So um, there's a, a reward for, for a certain category of people. And so the obvious question is, how do you get on the right side, right? Like, what, what is it? And here's what he says. He says, verse 35, for I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Wow, I mean, this is like, this parable kind of like blows a lot of our theology out of the water, right? It's like, wait, I thought it was like, I just needed to pray a prayer, and then I'd get on the right side. Or, you know, isn't it like just salvation by just a gift by God? And that's all true. But he's making a, a point here that, man, God really cares about our needs. He cares about the needs of the world. And I think it's important to see, you know, this is, he's, the poverty today is, is a very real thing. You know, the kind of things Jesus is talking about here, about being, needing clothing and food and shelter. But poverty goes beyond that. Now, when I was born, back a long, long time ago now, the world has changed a lot. It actually, about half of the world when I was born was in serious poverty, where it was the kind of like living on a dollar a day or less, where it was like food is a real, food shortage is a real issue, and, you know, like serious poverty. Today, we have more than twice as many people in the world, and less than 10% of the world is living in those kind of conditions. And so it's still a really, really big problem, but, man, thank God, by his grace, you know, a lot of those needs are being answered like never before in all of in all of human history like we live in a time of, of abundance 
like the world has never seen. Um, but I really believe it's important for us to realize that poverty is not just material, that it's relational, it's emotional, it's spiritual. It's all the places where we are in need. And we need to, we need to do things about the material things. And we need to, you know, that's, so, that's the first thing. You know, you can't help someone. You don't really have any credibility helping someone with their spiritual needs if, like, they got physical needs and you're ignoring those. And, I mean, you know, one thing I, I love about what our church does, and I know there are a lot of ways that we're generous to people. And every month we help people, and even with our, with our offering, you know, every month we, we give people, we give to people um, sometimes as, as there are needs that come up, but every month we partner with Shepherd's Crossing here in town. And we give a percentage of our income to help people pay their rent and utilities and basic needs. And that's just, like, really cool to know, like, okay, there were people, multiple people every month that had a need met through that. Um, where was I going? I don't know. Oh, yeah. So, but it matters. You know, it's important. Like, this God cares so much about he, what he calls us to is to see the needs around us and to give to those. But really, this story goes even deeper than that. Because Jesus doesn't say, you know, as you do to people in need, I'll reward you. He says, as you have done to me, that's where the reward comes from. And Jesus actually identifies with people, with us, in our poverty. He doesn't just say, oh, yeah, let me help you poor barren soul over there. But he actually says, no, that's me. And even just the whole miracle of Jesus, God becoming a person and coming into the world, coming into the, the, like, the most humble of circumstances, being born in a barn into a poor family, and taking on our humanity, taking on our, our weakness, taking on our sin when he died on the cross. It's not just like theoretical, like, oh, yeah, let me help you poor beggars over there. But Jesus fully enters in to say, no, this is who I am. Like, I'm joining you in your place of need. I'm joining the world in its biggest needs and saying, that is, that is me. That is who I am. I'm fully embracing that. And that's, that's, that's the radical. And God is, God is, you know, nobody else could have come up with the story. Only God would, would be this kind of God. Um, so the story goes on, and it basically says, but those, it, it, you know, it says those that are the goats on the left side, it was because they didn't care for the needs of, of people around them. And he said, you, you didn't meet, you didn't do that for me in, in doing that. Um, all right. God is for for the poor. So what are, what are, how, what do we do with this? I hope we're just encouraged. You know, that's hope we're encouraged that God's for us in, in our need, and he's for people around us. Um, I want to just throw out, end with three takeaways for how we, how we walk this out. Um, a lot of this is what I've already talked about, been saying, but the first is to acknowledge our need. Acknowledge your need. I was, we were joking around our table last night uh, about how my wife, Reagan, is a big fan of Brene Brown, and I was telling my kids, yeah, all she does is, like, she, she writes books and does endless talks, and her whole point is you need to be vulnerable. I was like, I got that. Like, isn't that just, like, one sentence? Like, how do you, like, have a whole industry telling you to be vulnerable? But 
it's like, you know, there's a lot there. And that's one place probably where women get it better than most dudes like me, where we're kind of like, okay, yeah, whatever. But, you know, it's really important. Like, we can't, if God is for the poor, that's great. But it doesn't connect until we say, okay, that's me. I'm poor. I need you. God, I'm, I'm empty. I, I need you. I, I need God. Um, in Matthew 5, 3, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. So it's, it's not just limited to material poverty, but there's a, a poor in spirit is that humility, that realizing, oh, God, I, I need you. I, I'm, I'm weak. I'm empty on my own. I need you. How, how much do we know that we need a Savior? How much do we know that we need God to, to elevate us, to lift us up, to, to call us into the life he's got for us? Um, Abby Ford, in this, this devotional that she sent out this morning, she said this, um, just really being vulnerable. She must be listening to, to Bob, Brene Brown. I get Bobby Brown and Brene Brown mixed up. If those of you ladies know those two ladies, um, I don't. But anyway, Brene Brown, um, she said that, but Abby said this, I recently turned 39, the, and, and uh, Abby's not married. Okay, she's, this is where she's coming from. I recently turned 39. The year ahead begins all the months leading to my 40th year. On one level, the world, my flesh, and the accuser tempt me to shame. For a woman aware, who is aware that she is made for life and partnership in whatever ways the Lord has chosen, my emptiness can become barrenness, a slam that magnetizes old lies. You are forsaken. You are not chosen. You are not seen or loved. You know, those are the lies that, that Abby hears regularly. We all have our own lies and feelings that come to us from our, our place of need. And she says this, but God exhorts me to submit barrenness as a place of expectancy, not shame. Now, that's huge. So in our place of barrenness, in our place of weakness, it's acknowledging it, but then not turning it to shame. Like, oh, you know, this is something I'm ashamed of, but God, this is something where I need you. This is something where I'm looking to you to come and fill me in this part of my life. What can God do with an empty place awaiting his fulfillment? I look to Mary for help. Her declaration, let it be done according to God's will, challenges my strongholds of thoughts. Like Mary and Elizabeth, my emptiness can open to Jesus with expectancy. What can't God do with my empty place waiting to be filled? So first we acknowledge our need, and then the next takeaway really flows right out of that is by faith receive the kingdom. By faith receive the inheritance that God wants to give us in those places of emptiness. We, we have to acknowledge it, but then it's not just acknowledging it, because a lot of people are like going around griping about their problems, right? But they're not, that doesn't mean you receive what God wants to bring into those places. But there has to be a, okay, this is my need, God, I'm looking to you. Like Mary, what did she say? 
This is what she said after the angel came to her. She said, Behold, in Luke 1.38, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Said, okay, God, I trust you. I look to you. I don't know how this is going to happen. This doesn't make any sense. I'm a virgin. I'm, how can I have a baby? That doesn't make any sense. This is impossible. But let it be to me according to your word. And God's word for us is that, for blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That doesn't mean you go to heaven when you die. That means God's, that God elevates us from paupers to being kings and queens. That we can reign with him in life as we, as we trust in him. We've got to believe his offer, like, like Mary. Um, yeah, as we trust him, we, we reign with him. And then the last takeaway... For me, I know there's, there's more we could talk about, but acknowledge your need by faith, receive the kingdom, and then elevate others. One of the ways you can tell someone who's received the kingdom and living from that place of, oh, man, yeah, I'm poor, but God's, he's elevating me, is that when we come to that place, then it changes the way we look at other people. And we desire to help them, too, to help elevate them the same way we've been elevated. I was maybe going back to my parents' house this week, brought back some memories. I was talking to my, I call him my brother. Um, he's kind of some like fourth cousin thrice removed or something, right, David Shepherd. But he was this, this, when I was like seven, we had a distant relative who was in a really tough situation in life. His mom was, you know, now you'd call it mental illness. Back then we just called it crazy, okay? I mean, she was on drugs. She she was, she came to our house once for Christmas, and she was literally doing cartwheels in the living room and asking my dad if she could borrow his underwear. So it was like rough family background. And his dad was a trucker and had an alcohol problem. And basically his dad, like, kidnapped David from his mom and dropped him off with our family <laughs> when he was the five-year-old kid. And David had, you know, just full of baggage, as you can imagine. You know, that was a lot. He had seen a lot in his first five years of life, and lived with us for like three years, and then went back to his, to his dad in Idaho, and then actually when he graduated high school, he came and lived with my grandparents in Topeka for, for two or three years, and it's wild, like those years and the relationship that my parents and our family formed with David changed his life. I mean, he went, like his life, if you look at the, the trajectory, it did not look good. But, and it was not, it was rough. I mean, I could tell you, there were a lot of stories of David running away and the tension and just all the emotional stuff. And, but, and then he went back and it was a rough life his, in his time in, in middle school and high school. But, man, because my parents, really, and my grandparents just like said, no, we believe in this kid. Like, God made him. He has a purpose. He has a calling. We're going to do our best to bring him into our family and to help him to know God and come into something, like, it changed his life, and now David is a guy who's married, he has three boys of his own, he's, like, the biggest, like, dad coach, taking his kids, like, coaching them in everything, hunting, he just, like, actually yesterday, they doubled their partnership with our ministry here, I mean, there he's, he's teaching high school kids, volunteering in juvenile detention centers, and working there, and it's, like, wow, like, here, this kid, because someone saw him with the eyes of faith and saw that God, no, God has a purpose for him. 
and invested in him that made all the difference. And that's, that's what God does to us. And then that's what he empowers us to do with other people too. And, man, that's, man, God's so good that he involves us in that process. Um, yeah. I think I'm going to stop there. Um, God looks at us in our, in our place of need and says, you know, you're, you have a calling, you have a destiny, and it matters to me. And he wants us to, to meet him in those places. And then he empowers us to, to elevate other people too. Um, let's pray together. God, it's, it's so great that you are for the poor. It's so great that you're for the humble. God, I just, I love that about you. Lord, I love that that's what you're looking for. And that's, that's where you delight to show up. That's where you delight to appear. Is just for simple people who say, yeah, I, I, I don't have what I need for this life and for the dreams of my heart. But, Lord, here I am. And God, I'm looking to you. Lord, I, I pray for, for each of us. Lord, I just pray that, Lord, may we encounter you in those places. May, may our hearts be softened and turn to you and encounter you in a place of humility. Lord, and I, I thank you for the ways that you already have elevated us so much. God, thank you for the inheritance that so many of us have received. Lord, things that you've done in our lives that we could not have done on our own. Blessings we've received provision we've received. Lord, thank you. Lord, may we, may we live in that place of trusting you. May, may we live from that place more and more. God, and as we do that, Lord, may you help us to, to love those around us. Help us to see you in them and to believe in them and to love them. And Lord, thank, help us to be part of bringing your heart to people around us. Lord, we love you. We trust in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. We're going to worship God with one more song. So, worship team, come on up and lead us in that. From the moment that I wake up, 
through the fire in the darkest night. You are close like no other. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a
even in our weakness, God, you call us yours. You say that we were worthy of the death that you paid on that cross. And even when we continue to be weak, you say, come to me and I'll give you life. I'll give you what you need. So we thank you, God, that we don't have to figure it out, that we don't have to be perfect, that we can let the pressure off and we can stop striving and we can choose you, God. We just praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. really great today and the whole aspect of like we have needs and acknowledging it that's um, all about living waters it's acknowledging our need and really asking God in that place of wounding that maybe we didn't even realize was there I know I went through it and there were a lot of things that the Holy Spirit brought up in my life that I didn't really realize was an issue but he does and he really spoke to those areas of barrenness and brokenness and need and he's and in a posture of receiving him I received like a new lens a new way of thinking about myself and my past and my future and um, so I just want to put a plug in for living waters I know it's kind of vague you know what we say like wholeness or relational brokenness and you're like oh yeah that's good for you but I don't know what you're talking about so I'm not going to do it um, but it is all those things, and it starts with acknowledging our need. And it's a really, um, it's a little different. It's not like just coming to a Bible study. It's um, hearing and receiving from each other and prayer. There's a lot. It's really based on praying in small groups, and it's not counseling. It's not therapy. It's asking God to really speak to our hearts where there has been wounding, and um, we all have wounding. And I think it really just breaks that shame that maybe sometimes or we don't even want to acknowledge it we just want to go on with life so anyway um, I would just encourage you pray about it I'd love to have you join um, it's really receiving what God wants to speak to us so Living Waters check it out on our website thanks Debbie thanks so much for sharing Reagan um, well yeah this is really all we have for you guys and I know there's there's a lot there so it's not all we have but um, if this is your first time here, uh, we're really excited that you're here. We actually have a special gift for you. So if you want to go to the Welcome Center, they're going to give you a little something, something that you'll really enjoy. Make sure you do that. And before we leave, um, we're going to just go into our time of giving. And there are different ways in which you can do that. You can do it online at bloomon.church. You can set up an account and do automatic withdrawals. That's what I do because I'm forgetful. You can text to give, another easy way, or you can give cash or check at the basket over there. So um, I'm just going to pray over that real quick. God, thank you for your provision. Lord, even when we're poor, you give us what we need, God, and so we just speak a blessing over these tithes and offerings, that you'll use them to advance your kingdom, and that you'll use them to do a work in us, God, as we're giving these tithes and offerings. In Jesus' name. Well, I just want to speak a blessing over all of us to start the week off with uh, an attitude of neediness towards God and an attitude of humbleness. Like Reagan was saying, acknowledging our need for him is the first step to great things in our lives. And it's a blessing to be able to see a need for God in our lives. So right now I just, in Jesus' name, a blessing of neediness. And have a great week and have a great Christmas this week with your family and loved ones. See you guys later.